As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And tame, and tame again. Crank up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Desperately trying to resist a team full of quadrennial Mexican stalwarts, a Brazilian with the most efficient World Cup CV of all, streetwise South American centre-backs, a shop-window Senegalese, at least one player synonymous with having his name screamed at the top of a foreign commentator's lungs, a surprise Englishman, and a reassuringly iconic front line. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is the Pure World Cup eleven. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 209 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me to choose a very, very special lineup is, first of all, Charlie Eccleshare. How's it going? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Very, very good indeed. Nice to have you for this one. An elite level selector for an elite level selection. Uh, speaking of which, alongside you on this panel is Michael Cox. How are you doing, Michael? Very well, thank you. Looking forward to this. Uh, we've already done the International eleven, but this, this is a step above that, isn't it? It's not treading on its toes, is it? I don't think it is, weirdly. There was, a, there was one player I had to leave out because we've mentioned him before. I don't know how that's worked, but it has. <laughs> Good. It's a, it is a different vibe, the World Cup eleven. It, it takes in some more kind of surface level, vacuous criteria than the international football one but I I do think that's part of it part of the World Cup experience Charlie it's kind of boyhood memories I think is is part of this sadly yeah it's 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 a tricky one this we we need to define the parameters as always because there are so many people players synonymous with World Cups 
So it's whether we, you know, how many of those we want or we want more just the people who... I mean, I think it's important that you only really know them for World Cup stuff. I think that's 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 the crucial thing. Yeah. But we can't get too... It can't become... We can't get too iconic, can we? Because it would be really no. boring 11. That's yeah, exactly. That, that's the kind of, yeah, the, the, exactly. The top 10 most memorable World Cup moments is not mm. what we want to do. I want also to bear this in mind, Michael. Uh, whilst these 11s... Well, the, whilst the cliche 11s are very rarely tactical affairs, Simon Trainer writes in and says, uh, I've been reminded of a re- recent cliches s conversation I was having about teams of the tournament or World Cups, which are always this format. Goalkeeper who ends up messing up in the final, a back four of three attacking fullbacks and one outstanding centre-back, three number tens and three strikers. <laughs> we can't have that. We need to have balance. Yeah, mine makes a bit more sense, although I must admit I haven't really got a left back. I've got three centre backs, so that's kind of flipping the. Uh, yeah, I struggled with the left back, actually. I'm, I'm happy Love to what? play around with the formation, I don't mind. Uh, I'm going to rattle off this team, Charlie, from Sam, who says Campos, Josimar, Batiston, Cannavaro, Bremer, Mateus, Maradona, Hadji, Waddle, Miller, Pele. He has gone full World Cup. Yeah, I've got I can actually a few... smell my soul sliding out of my body as I read those names. I've got a few of those names written down. I mean, someone like <laughs> someone like Miller is a very he. he feel, I, I have no idea what he um, what he did in his right. club career. Though I've got an interesting fact for you about Roger Miller. He, as of September last year, was the most expensive footballer on Cameo. <laughs> <laughs> Which after. to me is extraordinary. What would you I cannot... get him to say? Or would you get him to do a dance? How, how how has that happened? That can't be supply and demand. Is that him just being like, I'll do it, but He's it's going to cost high. you? Yeah, nobody's asked him. Surely, yeah. honestly, if, if you, anyone who cares to look at the cameo offering, there really is no correlation between success or or notoriety of career and price of cameo video. It is complete. Nobody's in charge of this. We, need some yeah, we had a lot of fun fixing. on a train journey to Edinburgh trying to discern any patterns and you're right it is very difficult to do that culminating in this Miller revelation right then let's kick off where we always kick off as we should with our goalkeeper Michael who have you got in mind well initially I was going to go for Schillever but he was in my international 11 ah. and and I think he's a bit too kind of copper American in some ways so I've gone for Rushdu who was the outstanding goalkeeper at World Cup 2002, went to Barcelona, played about three games. Vaguely remember him from the qualifiers against yeah. England. Spooky Beckham, yeah. games. But otherwise, I mean, who was he? he I mean, he, he looked brilliant for six games, <laughs> but I'd never heard of him beforehand and I've barely heard of him since. And that's exactly what I want from this team. Bonus points here, Charlie, for being uh, one of the goalkeepers who sort of um, streaked black paint under his eyes to avoid the floodlight glare, which is the sort of gimmick I want for this team. Was that why that that was yeah that, that's that's one of those things that now like American football thing I think there'd be an explained why Rustu has black marks under his eyes but there wasn't that at the time so I, I lived in ignorance yeah R- Rustu's a good shout I mean he, he I think Coxie's bang on there I, I have no idea what he did outside of World Cups I mean Schumacher I was in that sort of novelty moment category then Fabian Bartes I had written down I, I know he I know he did stuff in his club career obviously with Man United but not especially well whereas I remember watching him in that 98 World Cup and just thinking God, this guy is absolutely unbelievable and had a sort of World Cup what felt like a novelty sartorial element with a short sleeved shirt which I'd never seen from a goalkeeper before I must also acknowledge the flood of replies from our listeners for this championing the cause of Guillermo Ochoa mm. who uh, I believe missed out on our international football 11 I think but he was an overwhelming selection for that too uh, Neil writes in as us Ochoa has to be the World Cup 11 goalkeeper I could not tell you who he has ever played for <laughs> but he always seems to turn up at the World Cup and then be linked with everyone I mean I mean, we have That's to accept here Michael that there. 
we have to accommodate the fact that part of this is just our own ignorance. We don't watch the Mexican League or wherever Ochoa has been playing all this time, and therefore that's the reason we're having him as a pure World Cup goalkeeper. That's fine. You can't know everything. You, that, that's fine. It, we, we are essentially defining our own ignorance here more than anything. So Ochoa's got to be in there with a shout. Yeah, I mean, I think Mexico are actually the the most... World yes. Cup 11 nation. Yeah, I've and got I a think, couple of theirs. I think there's a few reasons for that without wanting to go technical. But when you see these kind of football consultancies and they rank the best leagues in the world, Mexico's very high up there. And they also p- pay quite good wages and their players don't go abroad that much. I mean, sometimes they're legal, but sometimes don't do that well in the Premier League. So I think there's actually quite a lot of good players that we don't see because we never really see or hear about the Mexican League. Oh, it's a difficult one. Also, I don't want to stamp my own authority on it because I've been pulled up on that doing that now. So I'm really in a moral quandary. Uh, <laughs> I also don't want to give in either. So it's quite frustrating. Um, Guillermo Ochoa it is. He's our number one. I don't care if we end up with a team of Mexicans. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him at his 13th World Cup in Qatar this winter again. Let's pick some defenders then, Charlie. Throw some names at me. Aldair. Really? I just I just think of him as very much a, an international player rather than a club player. That, that, that I, I can't remember really ever watching. I, I, he played for Roma, didn't he? But I don't. I, I have no recollection of that. Like Carlos Alberto, the... sticking with the Brazilian theme, I mean, Carlos Alberto feels like a sort of prototypical World Cup cult hero. Yeah, I also had Carlos Alberto. There's a couple of things I quite like about him. One, he scored probably the most famous goal in the history of the World Cup. Mm-hmm. So you think of him as a real serial World Cup player he only ever appeared in that one World Cup and he was the captain and he obviously won the trophy and I just think that feels really strange surely not many World Cup winning captains have only appeared in one World Cup mm, very so, efficient. yeah obviously before our time but people weren't seeing him regularly and I never really heard of him again until brilliantly he popped up managing against England when he was in charge of Azerbaijan yeah and the good thing about that and I did have to check it wasn't a Euro qualifier it was a World Cup qualifier Ah. so I'm very pleased with that (laughs) Um, I mean you can look upon that appointment quite cynically Charlie and you've looked at Azerbaijan and they've gone World Cup legend (laughs) (laughs) and they said that's it they're rubber stamped in get him in he knows what he knows a thing or two about qualifying and competing in the FIFA world World Cup. If anything, doing us a favour for this 11. A thing or two about scoring the best goal ever at World Cup. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he as I say, he, he to me feels very much in that World Cup cult hero bracket. Let's slot him in. Who else have we got? I've got a player. I want to give you the, the reasoning here, I think, is more important than the player. The player is Hong Myung Bo, who appeared in four World Cups for South Korea. All I'm going to say is on his Wikipedia page, his entire club career section is World Cups. There's <laughs> there's nothing about his club career. There's nothing about what he did in the Asian Cup or any qualifiers. It's international career, four bullet points, 1990, 94, 98, 2002. He was pure World Cup. That's, that's, that's a really good shout. And a clinical way of looking at it, but I'm, I'm all for it. And, and I think that's a great shout. Too. And there are, because there are those players that pop up for those nations that you do think they're, they're, they're almost like Olympians, that their whole <laughs> being seems to be geared yes. around these four-year cycles. <laughs> Solid season at LA Galaxy at the end of his career as well, just so we decided to let his hair down a bit and let the World Cup go. Fair play to him. But still feels a little bit too obscure for this 11. Whilst I'm not wishing to be too much of a star fucker in this team, Hong Myung Bo isn't quite the name I'm looking for. More defenders, please. Well, I also had Rafa Marquez, another Mexican, purely because he's... <laughs> he had the record, didn't he, of playing consecutive World Cups or something? Well, he has this ridiculous record where he captained his team in five consecutive World Cups 
which I just can't get my head around because, I mean, if you do it at the same age as him, you have to be captain by the age of 23, which is rare enough, and still be going at 27, 31, 35 and 39, still wearing the armband at some point, which just seems extraordinary to me. And although he played for Barcelona, whenever I watched him for Barcelona... It wasn't that good. It must be said in Mexico, he looked like a world beater. Barcelona never really got him. That is, yeah, that's impressive longevity. Anyone who appears at an unnecessary number of World Cups is all right in my book. What's his, Coxie, what's his different decades saying? Because, I mean, I know that can be deceptive and that you are at the mercy of when you played, but I feel like he might, he might have had like a three different decades or something no, like that. 2002 he, to 2018. Oh, he, he wasn't a 98 It's a shame. Dreadful timing, really. No? Decades is a very creative way of looking at it, it is. isn't it, Charlie? Massaging the numbers. You have to get lucky. All right, let's go for a back three then of Carlos Alberto, Rafael Marquez and one more. I really wanted to put in some from Paraguay because <laughs> Paraguay were at World Cup 98, 2002, 2006 and 2010, which feels weird for a relatively obscure nation. Carlos Gamara in 1998. Yeah. Got in the All-Star 11. He was still going in 2002 and in 2006 he settled the game against England with quite an unfortunate own goal. And the reason that I quite like him as a kind of international World Cup player is the only thing I remember about him was his, uh, from his club career was a brief spell at Atletico where he was wearing exactly the same kit as he was for Paraguay. Red and white striped shirts <laughs> and blue shorts. Even in a club context he was still pretty much in his World Cup kit. I'm consulting Wikipedia to, to confirm this but uh, I also think this is something of a badge of honour Charlie if I can give him. I'm thinking he's quite a short centre-back. 5'11". Yeah. yeah. I like that. That's an international football-y kind of thing to me. He, famously yeah. never, he never conceded fouls. That was his big thing. Right. Um, which I quite like. Quite un-South American, that. Yes. Anyway, welcome to Michael Cox's World Cup, Pure World Cup 11. Uh, Carlos Gamara <laughs> completes our uh, back three. Well, let's move on to our engine room, please, Charlie. Throw some midfielders at me. Dunga. Solid start. I, don't, I honestly couldn't tell you. I, I think he played in Japan or somewhere like that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really. He did play in Japan, you're right. He seemed permanently to be kind of on those on the side of the fringes of club football. Maybe this is harsh on him. Well, this is definitely harsh on him. But David Platt, I feel to me, is synonymous with World Cup rather than I know he had a I know he had a glittering club career as well, but that's not to me what stands out. Zico who again I, I don't know I don't know what is I mean I guess at that stage as well maybe fewer Brazilians played in Europe and then I was thinking one of the Bulgarians from that from that period in the 90s someone like Lechkov or what was his name Balakov Balakov yeah I'm happy with Dunga I, I, I want a kind of I want a kind of grizzled authoritative anchor for my midfield Michael and given that he lifted the World Cup in 1994 that kind of adds to his credentials as well sort of bit of a sheet of glory to it so let's have him anchoring our midfield um, have you got any more creative options for us? No not more creative I mean I had him more I think of Dunga and Deschamps as basically the yeah. same bloke uh, and of course both went on to manage their country I mean I've got another Brazilian alongside Dunga Different type of player, and it's Cleberson, on the basis that, again, really hadn't heard of him before 2002. I think he was quite a late addition to the squad. Certainly a late addition to the 11. Was probably the best player in that World Cup final. I know Ronaldo scored twice, but Cleberson mm. was really good. Then he went to Manchester United and was, by all accounts, just really quite bad. And they kind of shipped him off as soon, probably quicker than... I mean, they took about a year to buy him and gave him less than a year and shipped him off, I think. And then I never heard of him for ages, and he popped up in the 2010 World Cup squad as well. Um, Did he? So he was just very, no. very World Cup, really. He also only broke into the team halfway through that World Cup, didn't he? That he did. When they when they add when they played him in Gilberto, sort of double yeah. pivot. Oh, hold on a second. If we're talking about former Manchester United midfielders who impressed to quite disproportionate levels at World Cups, what about Nicky Butts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who was was it? 
who 2002 Pelé the Pele yeah yeah the world it was yeah. like massively overdoing no it was Pele but I think it was one of those media days Pele did where he did a thing for seven different broadcasters in seven different countries and picked a different <laughs> a different player for everyone a bit like when Paul Ince went to do his uh, promotional book tour in Norway and was asked who the best player he'd ever played alongside and he said stigging a Bjornabi <laughs> it was really that kind of thing <laughs> I, mean, I sh- can't believe you've blown the Nicky Butt myth apart. That's, this is very disappointing to hear. I mean, if it's not clubs, we should definitely have someone in that space of does quite well at a World Cup and then is bought off the back of that. Yeah, I mean, the, as- sort of the World Cup equivalent of the Karol Paborski. Exactly, exactly. Well, who have we got? We, we need this. We need I'm this. We to, need well, shop that, window players. That feels very World Cup 94. I mean, guys like Albert moved to the Premier League off the back of that. Papa Bouba Diop, that Senegal team. Cause I, and I thought of El Hajjouf as well, but obviously there's so much water under the bridge with him. Even if from a footballing sense, he didn't really do it to anything like that extent. He was seen as this incredibly exciting player at that World Cup. And yeah. Then, that's an interesting point actually like when we're talking about how you know solid world cup performances being the the trigger for a premier league move you suspect that as an attacking player who was already highly rated i think he won african football of the year i think el hadjouf probably would have come to the premier league eventually certainly under allardyce now pat buba diop i would be amazed if he had gone to the premier league without that world cup under his belt it's possible but i think he's a very solid option for this team also but weirdly with him he didn't come until a couple of years after that world cup he joined fulham i think in 2004 again like cleverson it's a sort of delayed mm. uh delay when it, it wasn't straight away well, well it was I weird think- like 2002 there was a bit of a like financial crisis in football wasn't there oh, so like right. a lot of people had to kind of wait for a couple of years but then just still went for the players who'd been good at the World <laughs> just, Cup just, just pause okay. what we were doing then that's okay because of the world the World Cup cycle being as it is you know in a World Cup context your basically your talent basically freezes for four years so you know if, if they didn't buy you in 2002 they, they, they still reckon you're pretty good in 2004 they're still going to get you in because well we all remember how his displays uh, <laughs> at uh, South Korea and Japan two years he can ago. replicate those performances he never closes really so I'm having Pat Puba Diop in our engine room alongside with Dunga Dunga no, but we need some attacking players um okay so i want some width in this midfield we've got some we've got some destructive energy in the middle but i want some i want some players who are going to stretch this pitch i don't want to get too momenty with this michael but i am still nevertheless drawn into the gravitational pull of fabio grosso um i mean he did at least have two moments yeah that great goal in one of the best games i've ever seen the semi-final against germany and then won it of course with the winning penalty and yeah he had quite a weird club career i think it was at palermo at that point obviously not one of the real giants and later went to juventus but barely played at all uh had a spell at leon as well but yeah he was he was pure Italy and, and pure World Cup. Yeah, I, I would have guessed Juventus, Charlie. But other than that, I, 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 I'm pretty sure I've never clapped eyes on him not in a blue shirt and I no. think that's the clincher here yeah no no I think that's a, that's a really good one and All not right. a huge amount was known about him at the time as, mm. as I remember it now I Charlie you, you've you've got a potential wild card for us here because I thought we could get through this 11 without having an England player because by definition we couldn't possibly think of an England player as being pure World Cup but I think you found one yeah well I was just think inspired by the it's not Nikki Danny Bell. Mills either it's not Danny Mills. Same World Cup, though, and the same World Cup as Nicky Butt. And I thought it was Trevor Sinclair who was so heralded for what actually was not a great World Cup. I'm sure I've said this before on that. On I'm sure I've said that before on this podcast. He was, I think he was very much overhyped. I mean, he came on against Argentina and was quite good. I'll give him that. But after that, wasn't great. But he was, ha- he was heralded as kind of, he's come out of nowhere, but Sinclair is the answer. And I don't think from an international perspective did anything really before or since. Um, so that was such an outlier for him that I do think of him as quite a, 
you know, one of those players who's just elevated by by the World Cup. So he's a player who wouldn't get into the international eleven because we know his club performances, but he does get into the World Cup eleven because we can't remember anything else apart about his international performances other than the World Cup. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's kind yes. of like no, this kind of like Ponzo scheme of cliches elevens. I don't know. Um, oh, I, I like it because it, it fits a very very niche subgenre, Michael of of players who who came in for England in an otherwise star-studded team and did a job that we all kind of, as Charlie says, kind of have slightly overblown over the years. Yeah, so I'm, I think I'm right saying he wasn't in the original squad, was yeah, he? Yeah, I was going to say, he, and, he wasn't in the, the squad. the legacy of that is him wearing number four, which I think was Stephen yes. Gerrard's number. So he was, yeah. a, I think, a 23rd man at that point when you only had 22. Could be wrong on that. Um, so I can really picture his shirt, Sinclair 4, in an England World Cup shirt. Against Argentina. Really it, just, yeah. it just felt so wrong. Because he came on early, didn't he? Someone got, I can't remember who it was, got injured. I mean, already, as you say, he was only in there because of injuries. And then there was another injury. He then comes on and, I was say the rest is history. That's slightly overstating it. But, um, <laughs> so <laughs> maybe this rams home in Trevor Sinclair's World Cup, pure World Cup credentials. This is, the, this is the effort and the air miles he went in, he put in into being in that team in, tw- in 2002. 19,000. 407 miles he uh, he flew from London to Osaka to Dubai then Jeju Island then to Seoul then back to London and then back out to the World Cup again to <laughs> cover for the uh, injured Danny Murphy and uh, he came back to England uh, Coxie for two days before flying back out again that, is, that, that sounds absolutely knackering to me so uh, for pure effort alone I think we should, we should get him in so it took Gerard pulling out Murphy then pulling out and then it was Hargreaves he came on for um, in that game that's a lot of things going his way. And it all led up to this moment. Yeah, fuck it. People are going to hate this, but Trevor Sinclair is uh, slotting in on our... Well, Grosso and Sinclair can switch wings, right, Coxie? Can they? I, I can't remember Grosso playing <laughs> yeah, on the right, but I, I, as an experiment, I'm up for it. Yeah, who knows? Hello there. This upcoming World Cup, what are the Athletic going to be doing about it? Well, I'm James Richardson and every night I'll be hosting a totally football show with the likes of Raphael Honigstein, James Horncastle and the rest of the Totally crew. Then every morning from Qatar, wham, the Athletic Football Podcast will be at you with David Ornstein, Matt Slater, Adam Crafton and many more. There'll also be World Cup content from Adam Hurry's Football Clichés Podcast, Michael Cox's insightful Athletic Football Tactics Podcast and Joe Devine's TIFO Podcast with all the stories that matter from Qatar. All in all, The Athletic is your essential audio companion for the upcoming World Cup. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Right, that's our, that's our scrappy midfield taken care of. But up front, we are in pure icon territory now, Charlie. I mean, just throw some icon names at me. There are a lot. I mean, Closer, I think, is, is so well cut. We mentioned Roger Miller. I put Hiroso Stoichkov in the conversation. Toto Scalacci, Paolo Rossi. <laughs> Mm. Eusebio, I mean, there are there are so Kempes, there are so, Maradona, Pele, but I, I would say Maradona, <laughs> Pele are two global icons to be just World Cup. You don't think Pele is in the pure World Cup? You wouldn't maybe, make, maybe you wouldn't maybe justify Pele it. is. Ma- I mean, Pele is. Maradona definitely not because of the Napoli stuff. Yeah, Pele. Everyone knows he played for Santos, but you don't know that much about what he did there. And he's, I mean, he has won the World Cup three times. No one else has won the World Cup three times. I think Pele is, I think he deserves a spot in this. I think he almost transcends World Cup in a good way, in a positive way for this team. I think we have to have him, uh, especially because we've got Trevor fucking Sinclair in our midfield. We need to up our game up front. Pele's in. So now it's all about the real kind of cult figures alongside him. I'm, I mean, on a similar token, Michael, I think we have to have Roger Miller because his career was utterly absurd. He won the African Player of the Year in 1976, the same year as Franz Beckenbauer won the Ballon d'Or, and then won again in 1990, the same year that Lothar Matthias won the Ballon d'Or. And I, I, I've repeated this fact on several podcasts, and I remain stunned by it. And uh, and despite that, it is basically because of his World Cup exploits that that longevity happened. Yeah, and then four years later, so he was already the World Cup's oldest goal scorer going into 1994 and then extended his own record by four years. And <laughs> not only did that, but what game did he do it in? The game where Selenko scored yeah. five, upstaging, a, a, let's be honest, a much more relevant World Cup record. <laughs> It seems to me like you're making a, a backdoor case for Oleg Selenko to squeeze yeah. this team, but I'm not having it. Not having he, Rangers legend Oleg Selenko in this pure World Cup eleven. I, I agree. I, I think I think Miller's more World Cup, but just the fact that he he muscled in there, Every, all eyes are on Selenko, and he said, "No, I'm gonna." I mean, he came, I think he came on at four five nil down, scored, and really celebrated the goal. And I've got <laughs> a lot of respect for that as well. Yeah. Okay, so we got we got potential for some great variety in our front line here, Charlie. We've got an undisputed World Cup icon who helpfully didn't have a European career for us to really cling on to so that's Pele we have the cultists of cult World Cup attackers and that's Roger Miller now at the risk of going to kind of four out of ten VHS World Cup tape let's find someone who who really did hit the mark at a World Cup perhaps had an average career at the club level and statistically has the numbers in his pocket and that is well I think Miroslav Klose yes 
I think I think closer to have, to to be so World Cuppy in the modern era is actually really impressive. But he he did seem to I know he obviously didn't, and this is saying well actually he scored quite a lot of goals for Lazio or Bayern Munich. But he <laughs> he he felt like one of those guys who kind of hibernated between World Cups, and I always found it so jarring. You know, he was the record goal scorer. Well, always was that felt so strange to me. So that's exactly what I put in my notes. Uh, people think he don't he doesn't deserve the record of, yeah. of World Cup goal scorer. I love this debate. It's complete nonsense. It's a fact. He he, 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 he went past Ronaldo and people saying I think Ronaldo still does, deserves to have it. It's not about deserving it. I, well, wouldn't some wouldn't the nowadays if he'd done it? Wouldn't people be like, well, he scored a load against Saudi Arabia in two thousand two? Kiroslav Posa. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It'd be like stat padder close. I mean, well, doesn't doesn't. To, I mean, to to support your point about hibernation, Charlie, I looked up the stats. He appeared for Germany in 14 different calendar years and over 50% of his goals came in the four years that correspond to Love World it. Cups wow. Love he that. got going just in time yeah. every time if you think if Another you think you're Olympic. coming in here with your Miroslav closer research well I've got I've got some <laughs> uh, vague statistics for you I once uh, went through all of his World Cup goals to try and work out the average range of his World Cup goals and from memory I think it was somewhere something like 8.6 yards which is I think is a badge of honour for a proper mm. striker 8.6 yards um, he was an incongruous he did flip celebrations didn't he <laughs> yeah. which is just so incongruous <laughs> with this like, it, a really re- bad fit and- Ambitious, but fundamentally unspectacular. And perhaps fun- that is Miroslav closer in a kind of functional uh, gymnastics, which yeah. you know, not really lacked flamboyance. Right. Of course, this team needs a manager to lead them, but managers at World Cups—they are a different breed. They don't fit the same criteria as club managers. And joining us for this very special section of this podcast is the man who's written the book on World Cup managers, specifically How to Win the World Cup, Secrets and Insights from International Football's Top Managers. That author is Chris Evans. Thanks for joining us, Chris. How are you doing? Hi, not too bad. How are you? Very good. We need your expertise here. Um, my first question to you is, is what makes a typical World Cup manager generally? Why are they? Why do they follow such different career trajectories to more successful kind of distinguished club managers? I it does feel as though there's a bit of a shift in more recent years. Um, traditionally, I think an international manager was the, like your Franz Beckenbauer sort of, you know, former great player who would get the job or people who were perhaps at the end of their careers who had been really successful at the club game as well. Though that seems to have changed a little bit more. I mean, it is definitely a different discipline than, than club management. And I think that sometimes gets lost a little bit. And I think a lot of fans watch it and expect the, the teams to play in the same way and managers to act in the same way. But I think it takes a, a sort of different temperament. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of club managers who've actually tried more recently to to be international managers and haven't really got on with it. And I think Antonio Conte is a really good example of that because I don't think he he got on with the slower pace. Michael, it feels like there's a kind of trade-off here between the differing, the kind of differing kind of needs of both country and manager. For example, international football requires a whole different managerial skill set. We understand that. But also, there are only certain set of managers who want to do this at a certain stage of their career. So when you take those trade-offs into account, who are you left with? What is what is essentially kind of the middle midpoint of that? Who? You, what kind of guy are you 
left with. I tend to think you're left with managers who are just quite good at getting along with people rather right. than kind of tactical geniuses. I think Del Bosco is a good example of that. I mean, Spain, you know, he, he could basically pick the Barcelona side without Messi if he wanted to. But he did things completely differently just to include some Real Madrid players so that there wasn't kind of a civil war in the squad. And to be honest, he did that quite well. Charlie, I feel like World Cup history is kind of peppered with great names, legendary managers throughout history. And then you've just got some, I don't want to do them down, but some very unspectacular names uh, your Amy Jacques of this world mm. who whilst fulfilling the very specific criteria of being able to operate a multi-ego international football team you wouldn't see them in the club game doing anything or tearing up any trees there would you? No and I think just building on what Coxie was saying I think the other in my mind the sort of prototype is a sort of football association of whatever nation company man who's sort of trusted has coached at various levels knows the system knows how it works and and it feels like they just sort of move up that ladder because probably if they were at a slightly different level then they'd probably have ambitions of managing the biggest club uh, in whatever league that they're from chris we've talked about the sort of type of manager whose temperament lends itself to being a kind of permanent fixture as a World Cup manager. But what, what does it take for a manager to win a World Cup? What, what's, what's the kind of patterns that you've identified amongst the World Cup winning managers? I mean, there are a few. Um, I mean, obviously, that experience helps. You, I mean, I guess this is perhaps some of it that a lot of your, your managers do tend to have a lot more grey hairs than anything else. But yeah, yeah. I think that's obviously part of actually what, what Michael's saying about learning learning how to bond a team together and understanding how to manage a team. So for all I'm saying that actually being successful at club level doesn't always lend itself to being successful on the international stage. You kind of need some of those softer skills. That That is really important. So, I, I mean, other than that, I mean, the, the three things that I'd kind of picked out was actually, first of all, from a really boring point of view, pragmatism. Yeah. Because actually, if you look at most of the World Cup winning teams ever, um, and I mean, perhaps with the the exception of perhaps Spain in 2010 even now that a lot of those sides are based on defence first make sure you don't lose and that's what you need in tournament football and I think actually you know people and even that Spain team barely conceded any goals none in the knockout yeah and actually I've been criticised for for writing about this before that that Spain side under Aragones from what I can understand was that that was created initially to make up for those defensive deficiencies and actually keeping the ball meant they weren't going to concede Mm. and it's a very different sort of pragmatism but that seems to be something that that every every international manager that's gone on to be successful seems to seems to have that and you know Jurgi Löw was a, a prime example that he he came close a few times and, and people doubted him and actually he realised that that kind of all attacking way that he'd he'd gone he needed to be a little bit more pragmatic to actually get over the line and and then obviously did that so I think that's that's one of the key things and I know that's not not a popular thing but actually <laughs> <laughs> making sure you don't concede, you don't lose is actually, you know, your big thing. Arise, Arise to Gareth, Gareth is basically what you're saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, this this is one of these things. I mean, uh, I, I probably am a bit more of a Southgate sympathiser, although I think things things have changed in the past few months of how well I think he'll, he'll get on in Qatar. But I think if that's at the start of the year, I'd probably have said that theoretically Gareth's had that. And I think another another way with Southgate is, is that he has... England have failed semi-finals final in the two most recent tournaments and that is also another thread that goes through quite a lot that you'll find nations managers who've learned from failures and have actually gone on from that and have realized that okay this is why I lost this time I can make amends next time and actually England are on that trajectory already obviously there are exceptions to that and that you know the Dutch side of the 70s kind of show that you can kind of lose two finals and not go on to win something but again you know Jürgen Löw's a great example I think 
interesting, Didier Deschamps, actually, in his, his post-tournament press conference after winning in 2018, he said if France hadn't lost the final in the Euros to Portugal, they wouldn't have been there as World Cup winners now and they needed to lose that. And I think Roberto Martinez kind of tried to pick up on that too. And he said that Belgium losing to France, they were just a bit further back in their their journey. I mean, I guess... This this seems very interesting to me because look, this pure World Cup eleven that we're picking, oh, this isn't a glorious team. This isn't a team destined for victory. It's a team that sums up the World Cup experience. Now, from what you're telling me and your expertise in this book that you've written, the running theme through World Cup management, be it su- successful ones or not, is pragmatism. Getting managers in who do the job. Now, if we're picking this manager for this team, a manager coming in, do the job that he knows best at a World Cup, having virtually no impact at club level, who are you picking? Who am I picking? I I would, I don't know, because I guess having no impact at club level, there are those who, who have, but I would almost look at the, the godfather of them all, almost with Carlos Alberto Pereira, in that he wasn't, he didn't want to be a manager. He wanted to be a physio that was, that was part of the, the Brazilian side. He kind of then almost went on that trajectory that we've spoken about and that kind of being the, the, the FA's man almost that he'd worked he'd been with Mario Zagallo during the 70s and kind of witnessed that he'd then followed him out to Kuwait and then kind of cut his teeth as a as an international manager an international specialist and it all kind of culminated in 1994 and obviously he had some he had Romario he had Bebeto he had these guys who who could win games but he also got criticised a lot for being very defensive and it wasn't it, it was a tournament that was won not in a um, a Brazilian fashion so I guess it kind of ticks all of those boxes all in, in one go and also like he's a record holder in, in that he's managed at, at six World Cups which is yeah, a record yeah. and is joint with Bora Militilovic as, as having five nations at World Cup finals as well so I, I think he's probably the the ultimate he's he's if I had to bring somebody in yeah he's he's been there and done it he's Host as well. He's been manager of South Africa, so he he kind of knows what it's like there. He was in Scolari's um, coaching team in 2014 when things went badly wrong. So he he's been there and done it all the way. And I guess he he brings all of those sort of experiences to the table. Coxie, the, I like this idea because it marries together two very important World Cup managerial concepts, which is someone who's been around the block a bit to the point where they feature in uh, record slash statistics lists. I mean that in. That's made for World Cups. And then it, but then it's also just been this kind of Allardycean gun for hire situation. This guy that we know can do a job because we've seen him do it at several other incongruous nations before. He's right at the nexus of this. This works perfectly for us, doesn't it? Yeah, he's kind of a blend of a bit of a journeyman and someone who's had great success, which I quite like. You don't want someone who's just always going out to the get that round. right. You can't do both very often. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think it's a great shout. Fantastic. Charlie, are you happy with this? Yeah, and I'm pleased there was a name check for Borrow as well. Yeah, because that was sort of... I feel like we, we probably would be listening. Yeah, we all had that sort of just in our minds, so it was good to just, just get that out of the way. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure to have your expertise for this. We couldn't have done it without you. Um, how to win the World Cup, secrets and insights from international football's top managers. You sp- you have spoken to an absolutely absurd array of people for this book. I'd, it's um, it's 
I'm, I'm going to say it, it is a veritable who's who of international football management. <laughs> How did you actually get access to all of these people? Um, I think, actually, I mean, it, it sounds like a wrong thing to say, but I think I was really lucky because I did a lot of this work during the, the second and third endless COVID lockdown. So oh, okay. I, was, I, was in, I was going after people who were probably at home um, <laughs> and more willing to talk to somebody who was... Mick McCarthy, uh, McCarthy on his Peloton. Peloton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Mick McCarthy, actually, he's the, uh, he's the exception because he was working out in Cyprus when I spoke oh. to him. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys, though, I I think, you know, if I was to try and do it again, perhaps it would be different. But, um, you know, I guess it's like a good World Cup. You kind of, it's of its moment. You've got to peak at the right time. So Fantastic. Thanks so much, Chris. Carlos Alberto Pereira is our manager indeed. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers, Chris. Well... It's been a rollercoaster this World Cup 11. Let's run through who we've got. Guillermo Ochoa in goal. A back three of Carlos Alberto, Rafael Marquez and Carlos Gemara. A midfield four of Dunga, Papa Buba Diop, Fabio Grosso and Trevor Sinclair. And up front, a saving grace of Pele, Roger Miller and Miroslav Klose. Led by none other than Carlos Alberto Pereira. Coxie, have we done this? Have we nailed it? I don't think we have quite, but I think that the beauty of the World Cup culture means we'll have another go in four years' time. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting shape. I think there'll be lots of criticism for the fact that we're playing a back three when we've actually got a full-back in midfield and could just drop him back. <laughs> we don't need we're to flexible. worry about that. You know what Carlos Alberto Pereira is like. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should put Fabio Grosso in our back four. Maybe we should have thought about that. But um, Charlie, a worthwhile exercise, and I think that's it. that's... That's getting me in the mood for the small matter of the forthcoming World Cup. Mm, yeah, if that doesn't get you up for it, I don't know mm. what will. Right, well, thanks to you for joining us for this selection process. We got there in the end, did we, Charlie? Cheers. Bye-bye. <laughs> Michael, thanks to you. Pleasure, thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. Cheerio. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favourite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.